This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not, like, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. You know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind, Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it, like, doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on. Well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code FAKETHENATION at the checkout, and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code FAKETHENATION. Go to trymiracle.com slash FAKETHENATION. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code fakethenation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 301. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we marvel at Indiana Senate Democratic candidate Thomas McDermott for releasing an ad where he smokes weed to celebrate 420 because it's 420. Hey! Hey! I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and I can't believe in my lifetime pot went from being something you pretended not to inhale to something you celebrated a campaign ad. What? Today... Now, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but there is some, uh, they're getting their bathroom redone upstairs, and, (laughs) you know, when you, yes, when you install one of those new low-flow Japanese toilets, uh, it really, there's some drilling involved, and you may hear, I feel like (laughs) one out of every five shows, I'm telling listeners that there's some kind of construction. It's not really that often, only, though, on Wednesdays, between 1.30 and 2.30, though, do people do any kind of construction? In my building. Yeah. Um, So, anyways, folks, today we're going to talk about the race in November. We'll also talk about how rags to riches stories are kind of fucked up. And finally, are we sharing the same boyfriend? Groups are a thing now. Uh, Yeah, we'll get into that. So, today, ah, this panel, you've already heard them marvel at the construction sounds being um, uttered uh, by uttered by my apartment building. Yeah, my apartment (laughs) building does some uttering. Yeah, that's what happened. The other thing that's happening today before 
before I introduce you guys is that I am, I decided to do allergies this week. And at first I was like, no, I'm not going to do allergies this spring. Like not this time. But then <laughs> the birds were chirping and spring was really here. And I was like, you know what? Let's lean in and just do the allergies, you know? <laughs> so I'm really just, oh, so you know, for the, for the voice that you're hearing, that's what's going on. I am so excited by the panel today. We are joined by artist and filmmaker. You've heard her on this show before, by the way. You've already loved her on this show, so get ready to love her again. And the most exciting thing happened this weekend because I saw her work featured in the New York Post. She did the, you know, we in New York have this fantastic Easter parade, and she did this beautiful Easter Seder because Passover and Easter were little crossover events this year. She um, th- this, this crazy hat that was featured in the Post because it's so gorgeous because her work is so gorgeous and her conversation is always scintillating it is the fantastic danielle dershlag hey danielle hey nikki thanks so much for having me thrilled to be here and joining us again and oh my gosh you guys i like i don't always get to go to a, a an album taping but i happened to be at the album taping for hard pass and it was I mean i i often see a lot of people's jokes before but to be at an album taping feels like an just a cool fucking thing and it really is and this is one of the coolest album tapings I have ever been to because she absolutely killed and she's gonna kill again today it is the amazing Katie Kampa hey Katie hi thank you so much that is like one of the best compliments I've ever gotten and thank you so much for coming to the recording it was you know another time another era it was another (laughs) era but oh my it's it's such a memorable I remember it so viscerally like it's what a fun fun memory I have is your album recording so much fun um and then let's just give that a moment to pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I want to thank everyone who came out to the shows in Chicago. We had a sold out show one night. We had an almost sold out show the second night. I did another show called Paper Machete where I saw a bunch of Fake the Nation people. And I mean, goddamn, the whole thing was so fun. Chicago was so great. I love seeing Fake the Nation fans in the wild. And especially when they're wearing their We're Only Doing Optimism t-shirts. I mean, guys, I my heart swelled and swelled and swelled um, at a da- in a dangerous way. I had to take some medication after. <laughs> uh, and don't forget, you can see me in New York City at Joe's Pub on April 30th at the Irvine Improv on May 4th in California. You can see me at Ralph's in Worcester on May 6th and back at Joe's Pub in New York on May 21st and May 22nd. I hope you guys can all make it out. It really makes the show so much better when Fake the Nation is in the house, uh, as they said in the 90s. All right. <laughs> Let us get into it with topic number one. So, you guys, my girl, Elizabeth Warren Edubs. Uh, by the way, one of the one of the peeps who saw me in Chicago, uh, a listener, he said, uh, just so you know, I was right there with you when you were crying when uh, E-dubs, and he said E-dubs because it's like the dumb thing we said all throughout the primary season when E-dubs dropped out of the race or whatever. And he's like, I felt the same. I was right there with you. And it's the one, one of the memories of this show that people will say, like, recount to me frequently is that moment because it happened on air that we found out that she dropped out and I couldn't keep it together. So anyways, um, it was a bad day. I remember I texted with you that day. I just, 
I'd been oh, on yeah. like two weeks before. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's rough. right. I remember it, it too. It was a rough, <laughs> yep, yep, rough day, rough day. Yep. There um, were a lot of feminist tears shed that day. Yeah. <laughs> I was also crying that day. Um, well, she wrote an op-ed in the Times called Democrats Can Avoid Disaster in November, and she offers a lot of ideas backed by data because that's her thing. <laughs> Um, and that's how awesome she is. And we'll get into those ideas. But I just want to first talk about something she said sort of offhandedly at the top of the piece. She wrote in the piece, Republicans want to frame the upcoming elections uh, to be about wokeness, cancel culture and the militant left wing. So is that I mean, just in terms of how we're looking at the November race, is that does that feel true to you about how it's being framed? I think so. I, you know, listen, I this week I was listening to this fascinating, brilliant progressive political strategist, Anat Shanker Osario, and she was saying that in her research... Oh, who's, who's, who's been on Fake the Nation? Continue. Of course. Of course. <laughs> but of course. It was, it was assumed. Um, she, she gave this really fascinating data point that in her research she's found that, you know... Potential voters, voters Mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. actually much more receptive to messages about what they already have that will be taken away than they Uh are to new things that will be promised to them later. As Democrats, that's a tough message, right? Because we're all about new policy. If you go with us, you're going to get this, you're going to get freer college, you're going to get rent relief, whatever it is. It turns out the threat of losing something is a much more powerful message. And I think the Republicans understand this deeply. And the way that they are framing wokeness and the radical left is all about their constituents losing stuff. You will lose the right to say the things you want to say. You will Mm. lose the right for your kids to be educated in the way you want. You know, we're having a tough moment here on our side, right, with Mansion and Cinema, which she very strategically does not mention in this piece. Yeah, she doesn't. Right? She's very pragmatic. She's very pragmatic. But, you know, she knows, right, our side has not made it look easy to make government work well because of these two sort of clogs in the machine. Yeah. Um, if we focus instead on what the Republicans are going to do to take away the stuff that our constituents already have, then I think we have a much better shot in November. I agree with that analysis. Yeah, Katie, what do you think? Like, is it that was is it- such a more informed and erudite answer than <laughs> I was going to give? <laughs> no, Katie, if it makes you feel any better, like Danielle is normally a dum dum. Like that's probably <laughs> okay. just. Thank you. Yeah, if that makes you I do feel better. One time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think. Um, I don't know. You know, voters are dumb. <laughs> like, as, a, as a group, we're all a bunch as, of as, people. As we all we are, have no yeah. short-term memory, so I don't yeah. know. Like, I think it's a really good essay, but I don't. I didn't really find myself too convinced about uh, the the reasoning power of voters as a block. Like, yeah, Republicans are afraid they're going to have things taken away, like the right to be racist, which is That's right. the whole reason that they do anything. You know, it's it's really like. It is reactionary to like the they're going to tell us that we can't be racist. And uh, like, yeah, I well, am. I mean, that, so. and, and I think like it's it's not it's sort of like it it's covering a lot of bases, right? Like saying wokeness, it's covering a lot of like they're going to take away the American dream. They're going to take away the thing where if you work hard, you get results. They're going to take away. It's it, right. it, it like the militant left wing is uh, like just invoking that 
it's not it's it's about the racism but it's also about like a life that you've understood to be a quintessentially and classically american life it's about your kids running around in the backyard it's about it just it it invokes so much of the imagery that you think you're going to lose right and um and i think that's the the, those are parts of the imagery of Americana that Democrat, Democrats should surely bring back to our side because we've been fighting for those things. You know what I mean? For example, we want your kids to run around safely in the backyard by, for example, getting rid of all the guns that are just mass murdering people, you know? And but like it's hard. Right. Poison yeah. in the ground, <laughs> lead in the pipes. <laughs> Oh, it exactly. goes on and on, right? But, you know, if you look at the fights that we've really won on our side, you know, healthcare being sort of one of the primary examples, why did that get such a passionate pro, you know, us response, get the kind of buy-in we wanted? Because we could tangibly say, if these guys win, your healthcare gets taken away. You won't have yeah. insurance. You could yeah. die. Your loved ones could die. It was tangible and it was also, and I hate that this is the way it goes, but apparently it's true, threatening. Right. Yeah. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a threat in there. And by the way, to go to Katie's point, you're damn right. We want you to not be allowed to be racist. But if we can instead focus with sort of the masses on something you already have that we're going to pull that could be pulled away by Republican leadership, for better or worse, that seems to be the messaging that's most effective. Um, so some, in terms of some of the ideas that E-dubs had in here, uh, for she, again, and this is one of those interesting, she's an interesting progressive to me because she's not like one of her things is we need to finalize budget or budget reconciliation deal, um, with the 50 votes that we have. Like basically right. she was saying, let's make a shit ton of compromises, but get some kind of a bill passed. Like that's what she's saying. She gets that we have to make compromises. She gets that this isn't going to happen by just stand, but by progressives or who, I, any wing of the party, like digging in their heels. Like everyone has to give a little. Um, she also talked about, and another example of that, she talked about some, she wrote some student loan debt cancellation. And the word mm -hmm. some in there was very interesting, right? Because mm -hmm. it used to it used to be like, let's just cancel all the da, 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 da. No, she's right. talking about some, the number $10,000 of student loan debt cancellation has been floated. I mean, I don't need to tell you guys that um, student loan debt is, is some ridiculous number. I want to say like 40% of people who have student loan didn't, student loans didn't even finish their college degree. So they're saddled with debt that they don't have a degree to get the kind of job that would help them then pay for that debt, right? Ugh. So there are so many people that could benefit from some student don't let loan debt cancellation. Another thing, which I'm into that, I mean, we they keep extending the, the deadline to have to start repaying again since they, you know, um, they put a moratorium on it during the pandemic. Uh, here's one that I think is fun. Force Republicans to vote on these things. So we do this thing where we don't put a put something up for a vote if we don't think it's going to pass. But her point is, let Republicans vote on all these things, horrible things. Let them go on the record as saying, no, I don't want children to have a credit. No, I don't That's want, right. you know, I'm a, I'm against any kind of uh, regulation on ghost guns or whatever. Uh, that's being done at the executive level, not a great example. But anyways, but you know what I mean? She's just saying, like, let, let them take a stance. What do you think of that as one of her... I think it's so right. I mean, there's a reason why Mitch McConnell refuses to create or release a party platform. 
because most of the party's platform, <laughs> yeah. right? Most of that platform would be unpopular. Most yeah, people totally, don't totally. want it, right? So I think she's saying actually create a portrait of what the other side is by calling votes that force them to portray themselves. The more they right. do that, the better we do. And one of them is corruption, like members of Congress and their spouses shouldn't be allowed to own or trade individual stocks. I'm just quoting her piece, which, by the way, the vast majority of voters support that. Like, let you know, and that's a wonder. That's a great thing. It would be hard, I think, for a Republican to very publicly vote against that. You know, it's like, okay, what are you trying to hide by, you know, wanting to be able to trade individual stocks? Like you can have as many index funds as you want, motherfucker. What's the problem? You know, so like get them on the record as showing a problem, including someone like Nancy Pelosi. But you, you think that shit, you think, you think shame might still be something that Republicans exactly. have a relationship to? <laughs> they are so far past the Rubicon. It's like, they're not going to care. No. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm they may not, Oh, yeah. They I'm may not care, but you know who might still experience shame on their behalf? Swing voters. You know? Potentially. They what news know. are they watching? <laughs> they're listening to Fake the Nation and really <laughs> <laughs> yes big swim voter uh, swing yeah. voter hotbed fake yeah. nation. <laughs> dear swing voters currently listening oh, oh no, god listen, I, do I, I have I, one I, swing voter hi I'm, Michelle <laughs> <laughs> Michelle this is for you I, you know I really I really do think that shame it has a lot less potency as a tool in American politics. I wish that wasn't the case, but I still think what you're saying is right, Nagina. I mean, forcing these guys to make these votes, if nothing else, if we're being really brass tacks kind of, you know, pragmatic here, that helps our ads. You know, our ads are about saying, look what they did while you weren't paying attention. If yeah. we have more of those opportunities, it helps our messaging, which helps us. Yeah, guys, we need some footage. By the way, can I say that there's a couple things that we could say that are super fucking positive. For example, that we created 7 million new jobs, which is the most new jobs created in any administration in our history in its first 14 months. I mean, Mm. literally the Biden administration has created, under the Biden administration, the most jobs of any president in the history of the republic. And for whatever reason, that makes no, I mean, nobody knows that. I mean, I, like, I barely knew that statistic. I kind of knew that numbers were good, but, like, not that good. And Do you know who Eric yeah. Bullard is? Or was, I should say? No. What? No. He is a me- was a media critic. He just died tragically, like, in a bike accident. Um, but he that was his whole thing was, like, there, every time the Biden administration would release positive job, job numbers and no media would cover it. Or they'd say, here's why that's bad news for Joe Biden. Like, they always do. I, it's so much of it is, you know, like the information's there. It's just not making it to voters without going right. through like, a, I mean, look how ineffectual that, the Democrats are. Exactly. Which is why, you know, me and like M- Michelle, our swing voter out there, like needs to <laughs> um, just at the top of her lungs, like we all need to tell everybody, you know, that seems to be an important thing. And I do wish there was an element of the left that was just in more lockstep about these things. Like if we just unit, if we could be unified in singing this particular praise, uh, I think that could be really helpful. And what I, you know, I don't know. And part of me thinks when it comes to 
the other thing that was interesting about Elizabeth's piece um, is that she, Elizabeth, um, is that she didn't really get into all of the woke stuff. She pointed out in a couple of moments, like, for example, how um, student loan debt disproportionately affected uh, women and disproportionately affected, you know, Latino people and stuff like that. So she, she took a moment on that, but she didn't this was not about that. This was not about like using all of the, the, the kind of woke language that the Republicans accuse us of using or whatever, um, to make a point. She was literally just saying corporations also shouldn't be price gouging. Inflation is partly due to them. Uh, she was quoting CEO of the CEO of Kroger in talking about how he was just like, yeah, I mean, inflation is a good time for us because we get to just bring up our prices for no reason. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but basically he <laughs> no, said that's that. Yeah, that's and that glorious you know, <laughs> lack of shame. There it is. Yeah. Shareholder so, value. Yeah, exactly. So so I feel like there's all these um I think this was a good op-ed to read if you're a Democrat and if you're doing stuff like uh, Sister District, which we talked about last week, where you're helping to reach out to people in, in swing districts if you're in a safe district. Uh, this is like some good fodder. Like, read this piece, get excited, figure out what, sh- what we should be talking about. There are happy things for us to tout. Uh, and that 7 million new do- jobs number is just one of them. Also, like, we're seeing a, we talked about this last week, a renaissance in labor. I mean, let's, we could talk about that. There's, there are good things, you guys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, Nadine, to go back uh, to your earlier point and what, and what yeah. uh, Katie was so rightly pointing out, Media coverage is about conflict. Media coverage likes conflict. When we come out and say, great news, this thing happened, that's not a conflictual story. Partly why Republican narrating is so much stronger than ours is that everything is conflict. It's not just we won X, it's we won X in spite of the Democrats doing these terrible things. If that 7 million number, yes, saying it is one thing, but saying it in the context of, they tried to take it away or they tried to deny you this. That, unfortunately, it's dark, right? But it works better. I think that it creates a narrative that the media will actually cling on to much more so than here's a good piece of news. It's like in sports, sometimes you have to play the refs. And in this yeah. case, we have to play the media. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, folks, hit me up with your best elevator pitches of um, the mild threat, as in Danielle's discourse. <laughs> <laughs> And the, the 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 jubilant praise. Um, hit me up with what you plan on saying to your swing dis- district sisters. All I right. do have oh, one that is fi- fi- about okay. final debt. thought from Katie. Okay, Which, yeah, just fi- I just stepping back real quick. College is a scam, <laughs> and like fancy college is a fancy scam. Um, <laughs> And, you know, student loans are indentured servitude. Um, But a lot of people who are like, oh, I paid out. I paid off my debt. I didn't even have any debt. But I, you know, so what's in it for me if other people get their debt canceled? Yeah. That is the hard bridge to cross where you can't get people to admit. Like, unless I get $10,000 free dollars, what's the point of somebody else getting $10,000 free dollars? That's not fair. Mm. Um, right. But don't worry about it. It's going to be good for you. <laughs> There's data. <laughs> Just be like, you're, a, you know, you're a fucking heart surgeon. It's fine or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> Michelle. Um, <laughs> all right. Let us move on. And when we come back, we shall continue speaking. 
I am the type of person that has subscribed to things and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app and I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money and because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you. So you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and Rocket Money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thank you to Angie for sponsoring this HeadGum Podcast. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Indeed. So if you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Yeah, doing stuff yourself seems fun, but then you actually get to, you know, solving a problem and you realize that mm-hmm. you can create 10 more problems and then you probably should have just paid a, yeah. a professional to deal with it right off the bat. You can easily injure and or maim yourself as well. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. You just get the app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. It's very convenient. It sure is, folks, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. So download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Thank you, Angie. Angie.com. Thank you. We want to tell you about a podcast we think you're going to love. It's called See the Thing Is, and it's hosted by Grammy Award-winning R&B artist Bridget Kelly and media personality Mandy B. Every week, Bridget Kelly and Mandy B offer grown, honest, and slightly toxic perspectives on all things music, pop culture, and of course, dating and relationships, which is my fave. Do you have a hard time finding new music? Are you a millennial who misses what life was like in the 2000s? Are you interested in multiple perspectives on relationships? Relationships and dating? Are you interested in a non-male bashing podcast that holds both sexes accountable? See, the thing is, is a podcast that allows space for a wide range of thoughts and emotions. Most recently, the ladies sat down with Big Frida and Chloe Bailey and just huge names. Van Lathan, who's one of my favorite people to listen to, to chat about movies. So the conversations they're having are phenomenal. Join Bridget and Mandy every week as they update you on everything going on in the world with their polarizing hot takes. Subscribe to See The Thing Is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Friday. We are back, and the construction of my apartment continues. Mm. Now, um, before we get into the next topic, I just want to remind everyone that uh, we have a new episode, a new bonus episode on Patreon. It's a conversation with the excellent Virginia Heffernan and the excellent Leah Bonama on the best places to raise a family in America, and there are some total surprises in there. So if you're interested in listening to bonus episodes of Fake the Nation, go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. You could support the show for as little as one dollar where you get nothing except for sat- personal satisfaction or for li- as little as four dollars where you start getting some free shit uh so um go to patreon.com slash nagin farsad and join the fun all right let us move into topic number two so we read a piece in the times called rags to riches stories are actually kind of disturbing by lydia keesling and in it she talks about horatio alger who wrote all those rags to riches stories um, centered around little boys and young men Um, And this is what she writes. Uh, This seems to be her thesis. We continue to be moved by Alger's embellishments, by the idea that a little luck combined with hard work can lead to, if not great wealth, at least comfort and ease. And then she writes, rather than memoir, the autobiographies of billionaires are couched as business advice, self-help, policies, prescriptions, or even quasi-religious texts, all united by an Alger-inflected fantasy of class mobility that is increasingly paralleled often by the political agendas of the very billionaires writing these books. So these billionaires basically glamorize this idea of the rags-to-riches story that they were able to experience theoretically. uh, And then, but then the stuff that they're, you know, promoting as a way of life in America are in fact at odds with the, with the idea of social mobility that they're talking about for their own lives. Um, what did you just at first blush, Danielle, I know you've done a lot of work on analyzing the ultra wealthy. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on this piece? Well, if I could give just a quick portrait of where I come to this piece from. So I grew up, a lot of my artwork is about the kind of complexities of American Jewish wealth, because that's the experience I come from. My great-grandfather was a peddler, an immigrant, and ultimately he founded the Sarah Lee Corporation, like the cake. So I grew up in this sort of new money, dairy-heavy sort of wealth environment, (laughs) um, if I may phrase it that way. And interestingly, uh, my family members would often refer to my great-grandfather as having actually specifically uh, Horatio Alger's story, right? 
This piece really highlights the fact that within wealthy clans, and this matches my experience, the narrative is one exclusively of merit. We got this money because we're better. We're smarter, we're faster, we're quicker, we're more innovative. It's almost never a story about random luck or structural advantage. What if my <laughs> great grandfather had been a woman? What if he had been a trans person? What if he had been a person of color? This is not the narrative. And so it's fascinating, but also really depressing that we assign not only sort of know-how and wisdom, and in some cases, even moral superiority to people who have randomly sort of luckily won the capitalism jackpot. Mm -hmm. But also I didn't realize until this article that it's a sexual subgenre. <laughs> this piece really talks about yes me neither can you explain how that is it's so weird listen i i have not read these books so i'm, I'm the wrong person to explain it what i can say um from my own experience of sort of the American wealth myth is that much like anyone in any class identity, any racial identity, any identity, wealthy people are the stars interior, you know, in their interior life of their own movie and they're the heroes. So mm -hmm. we're all the hero of our own movie in our head, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're a really wealthy person, all of this codified structure around you reaffirms that because you're told how brilliant and important and great and generous you are all mm -hmm. day long, I guess something about that really puffed up, unearned sort of ego trip turns some people on? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, you know what? Like in a, in a, it's just, and give the example, it's, it's like 50 shades of gray, right? It's right. exactly the idea of like, uh, you know, this this billionaire who's got a, a, a heart of gold, but a sexual fetish or whatever. Right. And that heart of gold, you know, is so emphasized both in, I guess, Fifty Shades of Grey, but also in the <laughs> culture because of philanthropic output. Meanwhile, most of these billionaires are doing the very things to destroy the earth, society and democracy that their philanthropy purports to save. Right. So the whole thing is kind of just a paper tiger. You know, it, it's a false narrative. But I got to say, a, a jerky philanthropist who wants to physically harm me, but also give some money away. Not my kink. Right. Mean, not <laughs> right. my kid. Can I tell you, side note, folks, I, and maybe I've said this on the podcast before, I don't know, I ha I was at the, um, I was at a writer's retreat called Yotto in um, upstate New York, and I um, was writing my book, and it was just like, you know, <laughs> long, grueling days of staring into the middle distance trying to fill a page, and uh, <laughs> and I, I was there on a Valentine's Day, and away from my boo, and on this Valentine's Day, I was like, oh, I'm going to give myself the day off from writing, and I'm going to go to the, I'm going to take myself to the movies, and I saw alone Fifty Shades of Grey in a movie theater. How on Listen. Valentine's Day, which just felt afterwards, I was like, wait, that was weird that I did that. Riches, except for and, and, then, and, then, and then you went home and you touched yourself on top of an enormous pile of money. Most Is that money. what happened? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so Katie, like these like rags to riches stories are also really just kind of in pop culture all the time or even seeing it right from like the Kardashians are a sort of like modern rags to riches story except for their I think there's something about except yeah that's right except for their riches <laughs> I know it's funny because there was a it's weird that we were reading this piece and then at the at the time that we were reading this piece I noticed something that was like trending on Twitter it was like one of these BuzzFeed listicles or whatever that's like 10 people who came from wealth and 10 people who came not from wealth Mm -hmm. And it was like 
Gwyneth Paltrow was already wealthy. So it was just like celebrities who already started out wealthy. And then they, they wrote that the Kardashians didn't come from wealth. And I was like, but that's... What? I mean, they didn't come from extreme wealth, but like they did come from wealth. And then obviously add Bruce Jenner to that. It's not like he was, you know, living in a trailer park. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? It's so it was very odd. But um, but we we ha- but now the we- the level of wealth that they're at is is it very extreme and something that they like to claim is is this kind of like self-made thing. What is it about this story that we want so heavily to believe? And and do you have do you see those feel those yearnings inside yourself? Like if I just do the one if I'm just a good person, I work really hard and this is going to happen for me. Like do you find yourself still kind of saying that to yourself? No, I've been in the entertainment business for too long to think that that's going to happen. <laughs> I am well aware that luck is much more important than hard work. And yeah, so yeah. I have to I'm actually working on material about this right now cuz I'm just like why am I going to like kill myself to get good and then nothing will happen probably because like I see undiscovered talent I like trip over it in the street you know it's just <laughs> right right hard exactly. work is nice it's great if, if you can make it its own reward that's the way to go but it's not gonna guarantee you any sort of future security or happiness or anything like that especially in the world we live in now um, but do you think so was, you've gotten to this point of enlightenment and and I feel like I have too which is that which and, and we run in the same circle so we know yeah fucking shit tons of really goddamn talented people who have a hard time paying their rent right so it's mm-hmm. and people who work really hard people who are up every night you know do in stand up or whatever and so yes we see exactly hard work not getting rewarded um but do you think where do you think it is for for let's say civilians who are not in entertainment is this still a popular narrative that people are holding on to yes absolutely just given the um like i said something mildly critical of which whichever kardashian um no one of the kylie jenner i guess she went to her her friend's wedding and wore this like Uh really hoary cutout dress like the trashiest thing I've ever seen it might have been the other dinner I'm not sure but uh I said something like mildly critical about it on someone else's Instagram and like five people were like she actually cleared it with her friend and she said it was cool so the like the (laughs) fantasy that someday that will be you and people will write to your defense for being an asshole to your friend at their wedding (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I definitely think people are still in that that matrix reality of like, yeah, it could happen to me. Like, no, it's a pyramid well, scheme. And can, I, can, I, can I just add one level yeah. to this, Nagib? You know, Please. what fascinates me is, so because I have this incredible unearned blessing and privilege of coming from a wealthy family, one thing I can say with absolute clarity and authority is that wealth has extremely little to do with happiness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm related to some really phenomenally miserable people. And so I know <laughs> that it doesn't mean now, does it have everything to do with comfort and power? You bet. That's what wealth can do. But I think partly why this fantasy is so pervasive and frankly dangerous is because at the end of that rainbow in the American fantasy is not just the cars and the money and the face that's pulled back to the other side of the earth, all that stuff. It's also like a fantasy that you'll be content. You'll be satisfied. You'll be satiated. That's not true. Yeah. And to add on to that, there's, you know, there's like a minimum income that you need to have that, that sense of comfort and security. That's right. And it's like, I don't know what it is now, like $75,000, which most people yeah, that's don't exactly make. It. And right. I think there's also a maximum. Like if you hmm. make over a certain amount, you're never, ever going to feel secure and safe because you always feel like people are coming for what you have. And maybe they are. Well, and maybe you should give it up. That's right. It's that joke in um, Succession where Cousin Greg uh, is is offered sort of, I think, $5 million to 
not do whatever he is was going to do. <laughs> I don't remember the, the particular <laughs> plot line. But it was like a some sort of a settlement fee to shut his mouth or whatever, $5 million. And, and his cousins were like, oh, I mean, that's like not enough to... You know, you still got to work, I guess. You know, they were sort of like, oh, that's like a gross, dumb number. It's too low. And they're, and it's crazy be, to look at $5 million and be like, you're not enough, you know? And that's it's insane. I, it's insane. And that's, you know, a friend of mine, um, the wonderful Mina Dimion, he has long touted his personal theory, which is that there should be a maximum income of $10 million a year. Like if you can't mm. figure out your shit and be happy and be satisfied with $10 million a year, you shouldn't be a person. Like, that's not mm-hmm. cool if you can't do it off of $10 million a year. And Where I always I sign thought, on. Oh, I mean, completely. Because most, and, and obviously, most of, for the vast, 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 vast majority of people, that's like, holy shit, $10 million a year? Like, of course I would be. Oh my God. It's the stuff of dreams. Of course. Of course. Listen, I, you know, I think. These these billionaire memoirs, which I haven't read any of, of them, but what's fascinating, right, is that they seem to be propagating this idea that like not only can you become me, but once you become me, it'll all be great. Do any does anyone on this call want to have any personal time with anyone with the last name Coke? Not me, right. <laughs> but right. Does that sound like a fun evening? I'd love to, to talk to someone who says, yeah, that sounds great. Because we know, even though we want this fantasy to be true, that the reality is much more complex um, and much more, let's say, nuanced than just I'm brilliant. I made it. I'm happy. The end. And, you know, the interesting thing is, it, like, they're all for some reason with all of these guys like T Boone Pickens, his his book again, I haven't read these either, but just from the quotes and the analysis uh from this piece, he he does this kind of like folksy capitalism speak and mm. this this folksy, you know, populist speak of just like, well, this is what I did, and I failed this one time, but then I was given a second chance, and then I was given a third chance, and that's what America's all about. Uh, and so sort of not recognizing the like very unique nature, the idea that the, a person who w- managed to increase his wealth to a billion in the matter of months or whatever that happened with his BP capital fund, the idea that that's just like something that could be replicated if you right. read his book. It's by it, anyone. It, by anyone. It's so absurd. And it is, it's like the stuff of pyramid schemes. You know, this can't yes. be replicated. And I think that's something, I mean, it, it, it's something that's very hard. Uh, it, and I don't want to feel, I don't want to take hope away from people about wealth, right? Because everybody dreams of wealth every day. Everybody dreams of it all the time constantly that is all of our dreams is wrapped up in wanting to be wealthy and i'm not saying you're not going to achieve comfort but it's not this level is 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 something that should be viewed as like a unicorn or whatever but but can i say like what i see is a positive shift here listen obviously this narrative is pervasive it's horrible it's untrue but what you were referencing earlier nagin this rise in unionizing which is so exciting and so necessary, isn't that the beginning of the puncture in this narrative? 
I said, I said it last week. I was talk- I was so excited because, yes, because I think there's also this chance of going back and really instead of instead of just like talking about fucking billionaires all the time, what if we yes. go back to that thing where we were talking about the labor class as having power and having comfort and being able to do stuff. Like the American dream was not about excessive wealth. It was That's about right. middle class mm-hmm. comfort. That's what it was about. And what if we can until, get there again? Until Reagan, right? We're still mm-hmm. a little bit under the shadow of that Reagan narrative that it's not about a middle-class good life. It's not about a meaningful life. It's not about neighborliness or kindness or the ways we're connected. It's about I'm going to get mine. Mine's going to be huge and fuck all of you all, right? We're right. still crawling out from under that heavy yeah, narrative. Of Ch- but, Charlie Sheen and Wall Street. Right, exactly. Yep, that's it. But I think with this news coming out of Amazon, I'm in the art world. I don't know if folks are are following this, but like museums are unionizing like at a clip that I cannot believe. Oh, my God. The Guggenheim, the Jewish Museum, on and on. Museums across the country are also unionizing. I think we're just potentially starting to kind of round that, that, that turn to see that these myth, these are myths, the way we talk about class in this country, and that workers deserve much more. The more we get there, the more we're on board with that narrative, I hope, the less we want to sort of touch ourselves to Mr. Gray and his cohort, because there is a connection there. <laughs> All right, folks, you let me know, where are you on the uh, rags to riches narrative? Um, I, uh, I, have you Come to uh, Katie Kampa's uh, practical <laughs> um, <laughs> reality that it's just this is not how it works, guys. Are you are you a comedian at heart? You know, at the end of the day, like we are. All right, let us move into <laughs> topic number three. So there's this phenomenon of are we sharing boyfriends Facebook groups. And we read this Cosmopolitan article um, by Morgan Sullivan, and in it, she defines them as city-specific groups where women post photos of the people they're dating, either because they have a hunch that their partners might be cheating or because they want the inside scoop on the person if the relationship is new. Uh, this seems like just such a natural step in the internet uh, to take because, first of all, Ladies want at the at the the beauty salon, the beauty salon. Uh, we're already <laughs> in the business of fucking fig, kind of doing this. This is like a natural lady gossip circle. Can we figure this out? So it's natural. I feel like it's really quite natural for the internet to take this turn and for these Facebook groups to proliferate. I mean, there's thousands of them. Uh, Las Vegas has a group that has 11, there's as a few groups combined have over 11,000 members. Uh, There's there's ones in Philly and uh, Seattle. I mean, there's thousands of people in these groups. At first blush, what do you think? Have you ever joined one? Like, uh, where, where are you on this phenomenon? Like, do you think it's useful? Yes. I, (laughs) as someone who doesn't even really interact with men on a romantic level, like hardly ever. Yes. Any mechanism to to track their whereabouts and activities is probably going to be good. Uh, Do you remember that app Lulu? This was like maybe eight years ago. It was like two glorious weeks where we had like a Yelp for boys and they had like a Lulu (gasps) rating and everybody lost their collective mind and was like, yeah. Oh my God. It was amazing. It was like, you know, it was out of 10 rating and it would, they had hashtags for like, we'll help you move or like, you know, good cook or stuff like that. Um, oh my God. but 
yeah, there was just what happened a backlash to that because app? it was like yeah what happened it just got it just like the business crashed okay but it was a great time and i screenshotted a few comedians that we know so i will see if i still have the screenshots <laughs> and I <laughs> katie K- katie if you want to bring that back i'm sensing a rags to riches story <laughs> that we're on the cusp of here i can feel it oh i i loved this idea and also i just have to say i don't know if you two ladies identify with this but how often do i read a headline that involves the term facebook groups and women and it's good for us (laughs) (laughs) this was frankly one of one for me yeah 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 Um, it's rare it's a rare and what a joy to think about us sort of you know getting to i'm i've been married for a long time um i know where my husband is because it's ramadan so he's sleeping but you know (laughs) but he fasts so i know where he is but i i I can i think it's a great tool for women in the sort of dating world or women who are having an intuitive like bad feeling about their partner just post that sucker up and see if some other lady you know listen i know from lunches i've had with nagin that we've all known a woman who's been through this horrible experience where she thinks she's in a monogamous relationship and she runs into another woman who is dating her same partner uh this is not an uncommon thing uh thank you patriarchy so i just feel like anything (laughs) that pierces that that makes it more complicated for men to behave that way let's go and my favorite part was at the end of the article where the women just like became friends in real life you know two two gals (laughs) (laughs) yeah they meet up because they have like these horrible men in common and it turns out they're these ladies are pretty great so they get to know each other that to me is the actual cinderella story right right fuck this asshole now we're girlfriends love it I was though tripped up by the fact that the girl who was like oh the algorithm started serving me is he cheating and that's why I posted it I was like uh you need to talk to a therapist because that is not why you posted it (laughs) (laughs) come on girl (laughs) you got an ad for tarot reading and that's come come on I mean the sad thing is here okay so first of all let me talk about the downsides a little bit yeah, here please of do. this graduate yeah. group. There's so one of the um, psychologists that was interviewed for the piece wrote: "There's an intense hormonal response due to cortisol and dopamine increase when you post something like this. Even in terms of say the number of likes you get on a regular social media post, it can actually trigger the same rush of adrenaline. But with groups like this, it's even more magnified. So there's like a, the, all the stuff that has to do with social media is that that sucks. It sucks a little bit more." on something like this also because the maybe the stakes are higher because your emotional well-being is maybe at at risk um and i would say that this group exists and if you're on it it means you're feeling some kind of relationship insecurity by and large unless you're unless you're posting about you know it, it, it i'm i started to date this guy has anyone dated him in the past i'm curious but um but I so the idea that so many women are feeling relationship insecurity. I felt relationship insecurity in my life, and I I've, I remember feeling so just like sad all the time at this thought that what if this guy is cheating on me? It almost I don't know. I'm not sure that going on a, it like my my feeling is break up. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Don't post about it. you because you shouldn't feel that way because that no, feeling you don't need to from fact moment check one Get is out. not is not good. It is not the right mm-hmm. feeling. And if you are good about like understanding your own feelings, then you should know that that feeling is no no good. Get out. 
-hmm. listen, I agree with all of that, but, and that dopamine thing is real. We've all felt it and seen it and witnessed it. But I have to say, and maybe this is like a little bit glass half empty of me. If the choices are like to get that dopamine hit from like, I don't know, retweeting a weird ostensibly health thing that's actually QAnon propaganda or saying, anybody fucked this guy? I'll take the latter. <laughs> like, if those are the online options, I think the latter is the healthier option, if that right. makes sense. No, exactly. No, it is, definitely. Like, and you know, I mean, I think if you're sort of frivolously dating people, the the whole enterprise seems kind of fun, to be honest, right? Right. For the kind of just frivolous dating, uh, yeah, which yeah. is the, the latter option. Stuff. Yeah, the low stake stuff. But that then doesn't if exist for me. The stakes are high every single time I talk to a man. So. <laughs> 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 then Katie, then Katie, for you, it should just be photos of random guys you photograph through your day. You can. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen? That. Have you dated yeah, this guy? What service. about this guy? What about this guy? What about this guy? <laughs> I saw this guy at Trader Joe's. Have you dated this? This guy, guy was in front of me at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> I heard him on the phone with somebody. Um, you know, this is this is, this is going to sound like a reach, but just walk with me for a second. My sister used to head a nonprofit that worked with survivors of prostitution and human sex trafficking. I promise I'm going somewhere. And <laughs> she found that one of the most effective tools to actually deter men from demand, to deter them from for wanting to pay for sex, was to put up their photos on billboards around Illinois. Right. Previous offenders, they would sometimes get their mugshots and pay to put those mugshots up on billboards around Illinois saying, this is a John, he abuses women, he, you know, he, he harmfully harms wow. people, he wants to pay for sex. And, you know, this, what we're talking about, these sort of girlfriends groups, they're a much smaller, more localized, less intense version of that, right? I don't think it's just for these women. I also think for men who get caught this way, and we saw from the article, some do, it's also a nice deterrent. Right. Because if you are fucking around without being open and honest about that in a non-poly way, in a secretive way, you might end up on Facebook. I think there's some power there. Meanwhile, this is so three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, right? This yes. little phenomenon. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, folks, are you in a, are we sharing the same boyfriend Facebook group? Like, let me know. I'm fascinated by this entire enterprise. Do you feel better? Has it helped? Has it hurt? Uh, let me know. I'm so curious. I'll, uh, but, and then make sure you do it on the social media that you shouldn't do it on because of the psychological effects that are negative. All right. Um, <laughs> folks, that is the end of the show. Oh my God. I knew it would be so fun to talk to you both. I was right. <laughs> uh, well, what I would really love is for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do. Katie Compa, where do they do that? Uh, they can do it on any platform you can think of. I am at Katie Kampa. I am the only Katie Kampa that I know of, and it has really rewarded me richly on the platforms. <laughs> so please find me. <laughs> find her. Don't forget to download her album, Hard Pass, for just an yes, excellent hour of it's comedy. Uh, Danielle Dershlag, where do people find you? The best place to find me is Instagram, where I am D-D-U-R-C-H, D-Durch, and also my website, DanielleDurchlog.com. You will not spell my name correctly, but I will still come up. <laughs> oh my gosh and danielle has so many like uh, uh she's a she's a woman of many feathers a bird a bird of many feathers <laughs> um 
in that she's a filmmaker, she's an artist, so there's like a rich amount of stuff you can dig into in the Daniel Derschlag role, so definitely do your digging ins. Well, and thank you, you know for that, Is it okay if I put um, She's a Bird as a quote she- on my website now? Nagin <laughs> Farsad? Yes, 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 I allow it. <laughs> um, uh, folks, you know where to find me. Don't forget um, Irvine, Worcester, New York City. You can see me. It's going to be a fun time. And, uh, oh, I have a new piece out in Esquire magazine about <laughs> it's about cucumber water in hotel lobbies. You thought it was impossible to write 300 words on cucumber water in hotel lobbies, and yet you were wrong. Um, so, so check out that package in Esquire. It's all about hotels. It's really fun, and then my piece um, is is ridiculous. And what else can I tell you? I don't remember. But what I would really love to do is thank all the people that make this show possible. That is our just phenomenal producer Danielle Jones Wesley our incredible sound engineer Stephanie Aguilar our theme music was written by the amazing Gabby Alter and as always you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts it really helps people find the show so please do that uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts email us at fakethenation at headgum.com and don't forget we're wa- we are here for your electoral races to watch um, send those to me and I'll be gathering them uh, for next week in the weeks to come as we gently but enthusiastically march into this election season with hope and good feelings and good cheer and join the patreon for bonus content and so much more at patreon.com slash farsad and we'll be back in your earballs next week that was a headgum podcast <laughs>